Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. Uh, my name is Dan Martin, I'm a special effects artist and podcasty man, and I am joined as ever by my sumptuous co-host. Is it is it this John Carpenter t-shirt that I'm wearing? It's a nice t-shirt. The, the sumptuous edge. Uh, yes, I am Sam Ashurst and I am the director of the most original film of the year. I feel confident in saying that because there is no other film like Frankenstein's Creature. It's pretty weird. Uh, and I also do podcasts like this one. And today I am happy to be talking about Dario Argento's Tenebrae, which is a film I actually like. Imagine that. <laughs> it's um, a film we both like. Yay! Finally, we found one. Well, except for the fact that all of our listeners have started saying that they prefer it when we argue. <laughs> no, that's true. I mean, so this we'll, is going to be a love him. I think we can still probably argue just over different things. Yeah, fair yeah, enough. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Dan, why don't you give a little bit of plot and actually do it this time? Actually do it? Okay. All right. Tenebrae is a giallo. Uh, a stylish Italian thriller um, about uh, a foreigner coming to Italy, uh, a fish out of water, sort of, as they so often are. In this instance, it's a writer. Uh, he's come to Italy on a junket for his most recent crime novel, and he is met by two things. One, uh, an aggressive press who accuse him of being a, a smut peddler and a pervert and a reprobate, and then also news that someone, uh, while he was flying over, has been murdered in a way that references one of his books, both in the method of murder and the fact that they had pages of his novel uh, shoved into their mouth mm. when they had their throat cut with a straight razor. Mm-hmm. Um, the film goes on from there. It wends and it winds. It's a pretty pretty twisty giallo. It's definitely one of the better giallos out there, although for reasons that I won't go into because I don't think we should spoil this one, just in case you haven't seen it. Yeah, it's one of the more uh, obscure We'll, we'll ones. be a little bit more vague on this one. Yeah, uh, Yeah, I mean, it's obscure... For Argento, who's yeah. like the king of the king of the hill, really, when it comes to the subgenre. But yeah, but yeah, it's not his. It's not one of the the, the most common ones. Although it's the first Argento I saw, uh, and I wasn't super keen on it the first time I watched it. Right. Oh, that's interesting. So, uh, and it's but it's become one of my favourites over time. Yeah, it's one of my top four Argentos. I think. Um, yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, that's very that's fair. But uh, but to be but he's not like Argento hasn't had an enormous output, uh, and if you disregard. The later period, which I think is quite easy to disregard, then I I don't feel you're knocking off too many uh, contenders when you go to a top four. I don't know. But anyway. Can I hear your top four? Uh, In no particular order. Yeah. Well, uh, how about we hear your top four first? Um, Okay. So I kind of go back and I'd say Tenebrae is probably three for me. I go back and forth between Birth Crystal Plumage and Deep Red. Uh, for the top spot. Oh, wow, for the top um, spot. For, so top for me, Suspiria is number one, then it's Bird, then it's Deep Red, then it's Tenebrae. Uh, see, so I'd say Suspiria and Opera battle out for four for me. I, I always prefer his uh, his uh, Giallo to his Supernatural stuff. I think Suspiria is an absolutely amazing film. I, I think you can get a relatively solid top ten. I challenge you to get to eight. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, they get the arguments. <laughs> you see. So okay. So once you've got uh, those, I mean, you're not you're not putting. You, you know, we're disregarding. I assume everything post Sleepless, and Sleepless is a is a hard is is not a, an overly popular one. See, I I I have a soft spot for Mother of Tears. Okay, there's apparently there's a there's a fan edit of Mother of Tears going around that is vastly superior, but I've never been able to track it down. 
Yeah, no, I, I, I you know, uh, I, I, it, obviously it's kind of disappointing in context in that it completed the trilogy and actually a lot of people were disappointed in Tenebrae because, because they, they thought it was, yeah, yeah. was going to complete the trilogy. But, um, you know, compared to... Obviously, uh, Suspiria and Inferno, it's not, not amazing, but compared to a lot of other films that exist in the world, I actually oh, quite yeah, like... Oh, yeah, but, but we're just talking about within the realm of Argento. Sure. Um, but, but I, again, I... Um, How do you feel about Stendhal? Uh, I, I would have preferred it if it wasn't, um, you know, if he hadn't have discovered CGI. Yeah. Um, but no, I, so, okay, let's see what we've got here. Okay, so my top four, Suspiria, Bird with Crystal Plumage, Deep Red, Tenembrae. Yeah. And then I'd say probably Phenomena. Good. Oh, my goodness. So, to sidetrack from this briefly. That's number five. Yes. Okay, we'll come back to it. We'll come back and talk about Phenomena in a minute. Use your memory. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. No, that doesn't work. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so so Phenomena, um, Inferno, uh, so that's six. Opera, seven. Slow down the list for Opera. Cat and Nine Tails, eight. Amazing. Four Flies. Yeah. And then Mother of Tears. And I haven't even included his contribution to Two Evil Eyes. He's not a feature film by Argento, though. That's why I didn't include it. No, no, that's a legitimate uh, omission. So Um, there we go, a top ten. More than eight. Yeah, yeah, but I, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not sure. I, I feel like maybe some of those are, are not as good as others. Like uh, trauma, I, I could have put trauma in I there. I do not like trauma at all. Oh, I quite like it. Oh yeah, no, I really have a problem with trauma as well. A lot. Um, phenomena. There's a there's a thing that uh, I think Argento mentions in one of the extras on this disc about phenomena that make me want to re- go back and rewatch it. Like I, you know, I go back and rewatch it anyway. I have a soft spot for the film. I definitely don't wouldn't put it in a top. Like, you, you, yeah, you can do a top 10 because he's done more than 10 films and you can rank them, but I wouldn't, like, if I was dividing amazing Argento from not amazing Argento, and then, then that would go in a sort of. I, I just think, you, I just think there's something about Argento that brings out a bad side of fandom. Apologies because I'm putting you into this. No, it's fine. But I think people are a lot harder on him because he made such incredible films at the start of his career. And unfortunately, some very bad films, you know, towards the end, you know, let's hope he carries on, does another couple more. But, you know, and I I think that a lot of the sort of decent, good films get swept up in in, in that. Um, I think that for any director that's made the number of films that he's made, they're not all going to be perfect. But as I say you can make a solid top 10 from his filmography. Yeah, I do think he's obviously held as to much a higher as standard, but it's because he's seen as sort of as giallo royalty. Yeah. Uh, and I think that it's a rod for his own back, but it's a rod of his own making. He has made some genuinely masterful films. And, and, and all of, you know, uh, I'm not a massive fan of Sleepless, but you could swap that out, you know, of my top 10 and, and, and get an even more solid top 10 for you yeah. personally. Um, I just think that he's made more good films than, than bad. Um, or more decent films than terrible. Yeah, <laughs> I, his, definitely, his... I definitely go for that. He's made definitely made more decent films than terrible films. And, you know, that's what a top ten's all about. No yeah, one, you know, I, I, I can't think of a, a director, maybe a Scorsese, who would have a top ten of absolute classics. Um, but even Tarkovsky doesn't have a top ten of classics. 
Argento's made more good films than Tarkovsky in my book. <laughs> Only because Tarkovsky. But Tarkovsky's him. got a better hit rate. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. As Jesus. a ratio, <laughs> Tarkovsky's in the lead. Please, dear listener, don't take this out of context and <laughs> say that Sam Asher says that Argento's got a better filmography than <laughs> Tarkovsky, because I, I, don't, I don't think that. Anyway, we should go back to talking about this specific film. No. I want to talk. About <laughs> <laughs> Never. I want to talk about phenomena. Okay. Uh, creepers. Um, I. Oh yeah, the memory. This, yeah, this may have been. Yeah, see, I've got it occasionally. <laughs> um, I'm going to be held to a higher standard now. Uh, <laughs> the um, uh, there's a, a thing. I think it's Argento says on one of the extras. Uh, we'll get to talking about the extras in more depth in a bit. But he mentions this idea. Someone mentions this idea that um, phenomena was set. It's not Argento. It's, oh, for fuck's sake, where's my brain gone? Oh, you've made me use up all my memory, Sam. All my memory's gone. Well, um, don't the... worry, Dan. I promise to never hold you in a high standard after this. <laughs> Cheers. What's the frontman <laughs> of Goblin called? Simonetti. Claudio Simonetti. Yes, yes. So Simonetti, I think it's Simonetti is talking about it because his interview spans more films than anyone yeah. else's. And that's a great, yeah, yeah, yeah. A great interview. Um, oh, it's really good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he talks about phenomena and he talks about how the uh, the imagined world for phenomena was that it was set post a Nazi win in the second world war. Mm. And, but it's like society has carried on after that. So it's like a few years down the line and this is in a non-German country that's under German rule Mm -hmm. and that being a prick is kind of like the social norm. Like everyone is like, is like infused with fascism because of it. And I've never, I've never heard that before. Mm. But it makes me want to revisit that film again with that in mind because it, it like a piece of information like that is so vital. Well, this is it, and and it's one of the things I love about Tenebrae, which is that it, again it, it's set in a post-apocalyptic future. You would never know this watching the film, but it's 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 set after a nuclear event. Did you know this? Yeah, well, they sort of touch on it in the extras, and I heard sort of stuff like, you'd, you'd be forgiven for thinking they just didn't have a very big extras budget because it's very sparsely populated, but they also shot it all in that area of Rome that was the um, the sort of the, the area that was, the area, uh, area of Italy that was built as a sort of fascist celebration, wasn't mm-hmm, it? Mm-hmm. And so it's got a very specific new look. Yes, yes and no. Like, you would never know that this was a science fiction film set in the future in a post-apocalyptic world. Um, you would just assume that it was a normal giallo, apart from the times where they mention an event, yeah. um, which you just think, oh, I just don't know what that is, so I'll ignore that. So, yeah, I, I love that about these films, that there's this whole other world outside of them. It kind of reminds me of Buckaroo Banzai. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I I think it speaks to Argento that he has such a world in his head when he makes these things that he doesn't necessarily need to justify on screen. Like, that it imbues them with such a tone. And and the thing is, you know, whether you like Argento or don't like Argento, whether you're watching one of Argento's great films or one of Argento's lesser films, I think he's always been visually masterful absolutely um and there are very few things he's done that haven't had at least some of that visible in it i remember watching um the card player which really is a turd of a film for the first time and there's a beautiful reverse uh, steadicam shot Mm. through an enclosed garden in the middle of a an italian city Mm. uh during the time that all these um like sort of airborne seeds are coming off the plants Mm. so they're like 
uh, like a flurry of snow, but in beautiful, like rich Italian sunlight. Uh, and it ends with uh, with the death of a character, like a surprise death. But it's such a beautiful shot. Mm. In I mean, that is very much the the diamond in the silo pit for that film. Yeah, and and you know, this film has a, a similarly lovely shot. The sort of the crane shot, the, the oh, yeah. three minute crane shot where. Um, I think the in-film logic is that someone's kind of looking for a way in to break into the house, but obviously, you know, that doesn't necessarily make sense unless it's Peter Pan trying to break into the house. But it's a lovely, lovely shot. Apparently, the the US distributors wanted to cut it, but Argento refused. Yeah, because it's long and, you know, technically you could cut it and still have the the film make sense. Um, The budget of the film. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. It took three days to shoot, and it's a beautiful shot. And they had to bought the crane specially for it. It was the it, first time that that crane, which is the father, the grandfather of the Technocrane now. Exactly, was but used but, in but this. even though you know their logic was that you could cut it and still have the film make sense, that wasn't necessarily their priority in terms of um, how the film was cut in the states. No. I mean, it is a kind of nonsensical edit, and they retitled it Unsane, um, which I wonder whether that inspired Steven Soderbergh to title his recent iPhone horror movie I've not Unsane. seen I've not seen on yet yeah it's, it's got an Argento quality to it I can see that I think Soderbergh's got some of those little sensibilities he's like a 100%. sort of uh, like a like a super lean digital uh, Argento in yeah. some ways yeah I like, I've got a lot of time for Soderbergh oh me too fucking amazing yeah, incredible stuff what a director I can't, weirdly underrated I think yeah I, I even like his Solaris remake have we talked about that before on the podcast we we have we recommended someone do it as a double bill and I said that he should do the, the original yeah. film twice but uh, that isn't to besmirch um, Soderbergh Solaris because I really like it as well yeah, nothing nice. compared to the original but it's a great film in its own right one of my top 10 soundtracks um, yeah nice and so there's a really great commentary uh, by Alan Jones and Kim New yeah. And obviously Alan knows Argento better than Daria does probably. Um <laughs> he he knows everything about Argento, you know, as he says on the commentary, he wrote the definitive guide to Argento, which I liked. I always like it when people celebrate their own work. And yes, uh, Alan Jones uh, revealed uh, a detail which I'd never heard before on this commentary, which is that Argento was inspired by a junket that he was on in LA. Um, in which uh, a drive-by shooting took yeah. place outside um, and he was kind of struck by the randomness of it. A couple of tourists got killed and and so that was the sort of initial seed that inspired yeah, this film. Killing for the sake of killing um, rather than and ex- Exactly, revenge. and, and, exactly. and the, the description of the plot there you know, really uh, strikes me as, uh, as this being Argento um, delving into his own life. And, oh, very and, much. And, you know, the sort of... The the abuse that he got for the the violence of his films and 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 all the rest. Yeah, of it. and he he acknowledges it, doesn't he? Even on in, on this disc, there yeah. is an interview with him where he he talks about like it being about the the shit that he got from the press. Yeah, I mean, I I, I doubt that anyone. I mean, maybe in Italy, but. Um, having uh, been a journalist myself for a decade, I there hasn't been often uh, where I've sort of witnessed someone asking questions in quite the direct way that some of the journalists do in in this film it's not representative and obviously Argento himself was a journalist and was remained very interested in journalism kind of throughout yeah. his career well it's, it's interesting but it's so almost it, it tips into parody in places as in a film. special effects artist I have been on the receiving end of that quite line of questioning 
And it's often it's not actually directly aimed at me. It's just a feeling. So you hear people saying, like, what's with people that make this kind of film? They mm-hmm. must be just, you know, grotesque. Uh, obviously, But they be- don't, like, shout it in your face <laughs> during an interview. No, 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 not so much. But then you've got to remember that um, other amazing anecdote that uh, Argento talks about on the disc where he talks about uh, the stalker he had in the States yes, following yeah, him around, which yeah. must have been very scary. Like yeah, following yeah. him across cities yeah. as well, which is yeah, yeah, pretty yeah. horrifying. Yeah. And so, it, you know, the idea that when you're in the public sphere, you're not, you don't really, you've given up, you've relinquished privacy. Yeah. And so that's, yeah, this, uh, that also, I think all those things feed into this movie a bit. Oh, absolutely. And that, you know, those are the elements that sort of I find really interesting about it. Um, we won't go into the ending or the twist because, like we say, it's a relatively sort of unseen um, yeah, film. Yeah, comparatively. Yeah, in, in a wider context. And, and so, yeah, we won't reveal that twist. But it's one of my favourite twists. Um, this film's inspired by Agatha Christie as well. And, yeah. Uh, you can really feel that influence. And, you know, it, it's it's a mystery that has a twist that actually works and yeah. is, uh, you know, it surprised me the first time I, I saw this film. And it's just got a brilliant ending that just goes on and on and on yeah, and on. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> it's so good. The um, There's a moment, there's a there's a death in the last act, which I won't describe in any detail. Uh, I know the one that you um, mean, though, yeah that involves uh, slippery hands, let's say, uh, which is one of the first reference effects I ever designed in my career. Oh, nice. When I was about 17, 18, I was working on a film, a short, just a, you know, a short film, and I was sort of first experimenting with effects where uh, someone got dispatched in a, a not-too-dissimilar way, and I, I pitched it leaning towards the, the tenebrae aesthetic because there's a, there's a detail that involves slippery hands, that is particularly uh, horrific. Mm. Okay, just a, a little, a little moment, an insert shot that's so effective. And I think it is those little details that that make Argento so good at this stuff. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Right, shall we start to wrap this up? Because we went so long last time, we're going to make this a relatively short episode. Dear listener, do let us know what you prefer: the shorter episodes or the longer episodes. We like to experiment with them. Recommendations based on this film, Dan. So. I was looking back through our lovingly curated letterboxed list to try and work out if this had been a recommendation before, and I can't imagine it hasn't, so I've got to back up. Thank you, Nick Vesberg. Thank you very, very much, Nick Vesberg. We must have recommended Possession before. Uh, we've talked about it, and I'm sure it's... Has it not been an official recommendation? Uh, I t- I, no, I'm sure I've recommended it, actually. What did I rec- What would I have recommended it for, though? I'll tell you I've what I'll no do. Idea. I'll do a, a quick recommendation for that, but just like a throwaway. Because yeah. we have talked about it at length. Yeah, yeah. And I'll do my normal two. Yeah. Obviously, Possession, amazing film. Hang on, whoa, whoa, beautiful. whoa. Whoa, 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 whoa. You can't have three. Oh, but you've already done it. You've I'm got, you've got I'm to make the choice. I'm yours, Sam. Yeah, All right, but then, I'm not sure. They're so. not they're not possession. I'm not saying possession. I'm right. not saying that because of its brutalist oh, architecture and its beautiful pseudo futuristic landscape that there are connections that I hadn't seen but that were mentioned by Kim and Alan on their commentary, which I thought was you're only going to you're only going to get one from me as a result of this. Oh, just do just do. No, nope. go on. Scream. Right. West Interesting. Crime is 1996. Yes. A slasher killing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> genre ending, subgenre ending uh, film. It's, I mean, I can't imagine there are very many of you who haven't seen it. There, those of you who have seen both films will understand. It was understand. released a long time ago. It was released a long time ago, yeah, I suppose. Okay, so what I'll say is there are things that connect the two films 
that although it is not one of the films overtly referenced, although Tenebrae is not one of the films overtly referenced in Scream, I can't help but feel that Craven had seen Tenebrae when he started to structure Scream. Mm. Yeah, very interesting. Um, so I think that there's some draw there. If you have seen it, but you haven't seen the uncut version, which is not super easy to get hold of, here's a quick list of where you can get the uncut version. American unrated Laserdisc, Japanese Laserdisc, Japanese DVD, Korean DVD, German Blu-ray. All uncut versions of Scream, which contain extra special effects, longer mm-hmm. versions of the deaths, yeah, yeah. and are brilliant. Yeah, um, I saw Scream at the cinema, and I, I remember it being more brutal at the cinema than at home, though that might just be was, the experience it, it, of the yeah, cinema. No, we, didn't, we didn't get the unrated version. It was, it was before Disney's involvement meant that unrated versions didn't get released. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so now anything with a Disney attachment won't get an unrated version. I just remember that opening discs. being much longer at the cinema. But, um, but anyway, yeah. Great recommendation. Yeah, worth worth revisit. And and you never know. Like I saw two um, critics, uh, professional critics who I respect, who have demonstrated a level of expertise in the horror genre. One of which, one of whom, has demonstrated a very high uh, level of expertise in the horror genre. And they hadn't seen Howzu. I saw in an exchange. What? Yeah, exactly. So you never know what people have seen. Right, my first recommendation is a giallo that is much more obscure than Tenebrae. Death Falls Lightly. Nice. 1972, um, which is uh, another one about someone who goes on holiday in Italy, but here it's Milan instead of Rome. It has uh, an awesome soundtrack, um, POV shots, Death by Straight Razor, all that that gubbins. I'm not going to talk about the plot, because you'll know by now that I don't really like to do that. Um, just, you know, trust me, it's a fun jello. And even if you've seen Tenebrae, I think there's a good chance you haven't seen Death Falls Lightly. And fans of The Shining will also enjoy it um, for reasons I won't go into. Right, what's your next? What's next? My next one is Della Morte Della Morte. Ah, yeah, From good 1994, one. Uh, directed by Michele Suave, who was second unit director on now, uh, Tenebrae. I, I say, oh, right, okay. I was going to say, a good one in that I love the film. Yeah. How does it connect to Tenebrae it's outside of that? Directed by Michele Suave. Who was o- outside of that. Outside of that. Um, it, I mean, it doesn't really. It's a. It's an Italian genre film. It's not a giallo. It's a supernatural uh, film. I think I saw it around about the same time in my life, maybe a bit later. But it's a. It's just a really enjoyable and probably not seen as much as it deserves um italian horror film yeah it's a really good one uh it's written by tiziano scivali um i think scivali it's relatively Scliavi. hard to get hold of isn't it in this country so there's a german red edition dvd yeah. which is uncut it was released in the states under cemetery man yeah. title uh, which i think there is a decent never had a decent about. uk release it's not it? had an amazing d- uk release i've got a massive uh two vhs spanish box set yeah. of it <laughs> yeah 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 it's great fun rupert everett who was the sort of uh, like there were always comments made about Dylan Dog, who is uh, Scliavi's other famous comic book creation, because mm-hmm. Scliavi wrote the uh, the comics for Dylan Dog and wrote uh, Della Morte de la More. Um, there were always comments about Dylan Dog looking like Rupert Everett, mm. and then he got cast as uh, as the lead. It's American title Cemetery Man, kind of gives a little bit more away about the plot, but he uh, yeah, it's about a, a chap that looks after a cemetery and has to deal with the fact that the corpses start coming back to life, but not in a ver- not in a traditional zombie way, in a much more oh god, this is just my job kind of way, uh, and it's about dissatisfaction and sadness, and it's got a beautiful ending. 
That's, yeah. Yeah, it's really, really, really good. If you yeah, it. great film. Um, so as promised, I'm not going to recommend another film because Dan has taken three and we've got a limited number of slots. Um, <laughs> entirely arbitrary. Uh, entirely arbitrary. Um, so what I'm going to do is recommend that you go onto YouTube and listen to some music um, because Tenebrae is one of the, I'd say underrated um argento movie soundtracks everyone always talks about yeah me too everyone always talks about um suspiria and 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 deep red to a lesser extent but this is an amazing soundtrack and if you have a little listen to a song if you love this film phantom part one and phantom part two by justice um but especially the soul wax remix of phantom part two and if you love this soundtrack, you will love those songs. Right, recommendations based on the past couple of weeks. Dan, Hello. how dare you make me do this when <laughs> we're doing this eight years in advance. But, eight years um, in advance. Yeah, go on. So I uh, was watching some documentaries of late. Okay. Getting my documentary on, uh, partly because my wife, Jen Handoff, is um, prepping for a documentary she's going to be directing this year. And we were sort of looking at the the different types of documentary, the different formats within the within the genre. Mm. And one again that had been on my list for a while, but I hadn't got around to seeing is a BFI DVD, which is called The Open Road. It's a silent, uh, just over an hour. It was shot between 1924 and 1926 by Claude Fries Green, mm-hmm. who's the sort of inventor of an early form of color cinematography, where they would alternate frames that were exposed for red light and blue green light, and you get this very peculiar, slightly um, slightly muted colour film. Uh, it didn't do very well at the time because it was flickery as hell and um, impossible to watch back then, but the BFI have done a lovely job of scanning the old negatives and uh, sort of doing this digital intermediate where they're able to put them together and create what uh, Fries Green was sort of going for. And it's really just a, it's a travelogue travelling from Land's End to John O'Groats by car um, in the early 20s. So it's a, a weird window into between the First World War and Second World War Britain. But it's made absolutely charming by unbelievably sassy comment cards. Uh, so it's the opinions of the filmmakers on the regions that they travel through and sort of introductions for the different characters they meet. There's some impressive early camera moves in there as well. Um, but it's just a really beautiful uh, sort of journey through uh, uh, England almost 100 years ago. Like I, There's probably no one alive uh, anymore who was in it but it's really really interesting to watch these like bygone societies i have to say that doesn't sound like my cup of tea it sounds <laughs> like it sounds like homework um i think <laughs> you and i have uh, differing opinions when it comes to documentaries um yeah as as demonstrated by the creeping creeping garden oh yeah creeping garden. yeah but i'm sure someone out there will like it and uh, in reference to everyone in it being dead, um, my friend Georgia can't watch any film with an animal in it without thinking, oh, animal's probably dead now. They, Willow is a big problem for her because all, the, horse, all the horses died. are dead. Huggle, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you beheaded him and wore it as a trophy. Wore it as a trophy. Yeah. Um, right, so we're back on to the recommendations of yes. films that I watched at Cannes, even though I haven't been to Cannes yet because of the way we're recording these episodes. But I am very excited to see The House That Jack Built, um, the new Lars von Trier movie, which uh, is uh, initially set in the 70s in America. And uh, we follow uh, an intelligent serial killer uh, over the course of 12 years 
um, as he sort of uh, murders people and uh, turns those murders into art, apparently. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm assuming I'm going to love it. It stars Matt Dillon, um, who I'm a, a huge fan of, um, very underrated, uh, varied actor. And, of course, it's directed by Von Trier, who I like. And if it's a return to the kind of Dogville vibe, that sort of mixture of extreme, extreme darkness with a very dark sense of humour that runs through all of his films, but um, I particularly like in Dogville. Uh, I will uh, love it very much, so we'll see. Um, the house that Jack built, uh, Lars von Trier. Dan, next. Nice. Um, so my next one is Await Further Instructions which uh, is the second feature by director Johnny Kevorkian. The reason I got to see it uh, so early was because I designed the effects for it and I got to go to a cast and crew screening last week. I was blown away by it. It's um, it's quite gruelling, um, not just because of my stuff. The performances are great and there's a, a really good feeling of unease that uh, permeates through the whole film. But um, it's one of those things where when you're working on a project it can be very difficult to know quite what the tone's going to be because so much of it comes down to sound design and editing that when you're in the middle of it, you can be somewhat snowblind. You don't necessarily know how it's all going to how it's all going to end up. And it was really nice to see um, to see it all come together so cleanly. I'm not going to say too much about the storyline. One thing I will say is that I had wanted to be able to recommend it. Uh, in last fortnight's podcast, the Hellraiser 2 podcast, because there is a special effect in it that owes a debt in its design to Hellraiser 2. Uh, but I won't say what one. It will be patently obvious. That's that. Cool. Yeah, I, I definitely want to watch that. Dan uh, showed me uh, little bits and pieces uh, when he was uh, working on it, as is always the case to all filmmakers out there I hope that's okay but that's what's happened I'm mean, not always there's a couple that I can't for legal reasons um I but nothing yeah no 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 I'm 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 I'm, I'm only joking I, I, <laughs> I promise anyway right that is a great recommendation I look forward to seeing that let's move on to my final recommendation from Cannes uh if indeed I made it to Cannes if in, indeed I watched these films at Cannes we're recording this way in advance but I'm very very excited about a film called The Spy gone north um now this is a uh, uh, uh south korean film uh, which uh, dan and i generally always love pretty much everyone definitely, that yeah, i've seen give them all a go yeah exactly and um, it's uh, set in the mid 90s and it's about um a, a south korean secret agent um who has to travel uh, to uh, to north korea um, because uh, of the nuclear program being developed there, obviously quite timely um, or, or not timely, depending on your political perspective, but very interesting subject matter. And uh, the, the Cannes Festival uh, director, Thierry, has compared it to Train to Busan, said it's this year's nice. Train to Busan, which completely puts it in another yeah, context. Yeah, that totally yeah, changes it. Yeah, completely. So I am very, very excited about The Spy Gone North. It's possibly the one that I'm anticipating the most. Yeah, that sounds very good. Um, so, yeah. Did you say who the director was? It is uh, Yongbin Yoon. Who, yes. Okay. And and you you're a fan of his, aren't you? Yeah. Like yeah, there's so much exciting stuff coming out of of career at the moment. It's um. He did. Uh, he did. Nameless gangster. He did yeah. Kundu. Yeah. He's yeah. Like there's 
yeah, Korea is just a, a fantastic trove. And if it's not a, a a country whose output you have delved into, then you you do have just an amazing backlog of great films. Oh to, god, yeah. To um, off the top of my head, the Yellow Sea. Oh, uh, Yellow Sea is amazing. It's so good. There's so much stuff. Well, in, in fact, I think it's the second time we mentioned it on this particular episode. But check out our audio commentary for the Villainess if you want just a a, a quick fire list of. South Korean films we've enjoyed over Oh, the no, that's true, actually. And uh, it was the last episode we mentioned the villainess. So we're, we're allowed to mention it on oh, this yay. one. Oh, yay, okay. Yeah, yeah, listen to our podcast again. But, oh, yeah, oh, it, 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 not only will you get pretty much all of our favourite Korean films, you'll get, you know, some Bollywood recommendations. Yeah, yeah. You'll get... Um, all of my favourite Star Wars films. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a it's a weird commentary, but a good one. Um, and I, you know, yeah, I was about to say it's on sale at the moment, but it's not because this is being projected from the future. This episode, uh, it's in the the five for thirty HMV sale at the moment. Oh, on sale rather mm. than on sale. No, yeah, yeah. You, yeah, you can sale. still buy it. Yeah, oh yeah, you can still buy it. Yeah, hasn't sold out yet. Okay, good, Dan. That's it, isn't it? I think that's everything. Oh, no, we've got extra features. Extra features. Extra features. Extra features. So we were Extra features. Sorry. I trod on your extra features. It's all right. <laughs> I think I did an extra, extra did feature for, anyway. Yeah, yeah you yeah. slipped it under the feet. <laughs> yeah. When, when I was... We weren't going to have anything uh, for this uh, episode, but when I was speaking to Paul McAvoy over at Fright Fest, he and I decided that I would... Uh, go and talk to him. He lives not that far from my effects workshop. So at some point between now and the episode going up, I am going to go and have a sit-down chat with Paul about Frightfest, about the process of choosing films, and about any recommendations he feels he's allowed to mention at that time. Amazing. Oh, I, w- I really look forward to listening to that. Um, uh, one thing I will say is that I will be very, very entertained if this doesn't happen. It will happen. Because you've got a whole month to do it. I've got, yeah, ages to do it. And he lives <laughs> next to my workshop. Yeah, good. <laughs> and he left his glasses at my house. Oh, well, there <laughs> we go. Okay, it's going to be fine. Although it's been significantly more than a month since that party. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> yes, well, um, you know, stay tuned, dear listener. Um, but I'm That'll sure I'm sure it'll happen. It's definitely going to happen. Let's listen to it now. See, it did happen. And it was excellent, as, as I suspected. Um Brilliant. Right. Well, thank you so much for listening. We should probably do our social media. We haven't done that for ages. Oh, yeah. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I am at Sam Ashurst, S-A-M-A-S-H-U-R-S-T. And if you enjoyed my Cannes recommendations, I'm going to be reviewing every film that I love at Cannes on Twitter. So you can kind of dig through that and find some more recommendations. Embargoes notwithstanding. <laughs> oh, no, there's there's no embargoes in Cannes, is there? In the market, so, there are. Uh, oh, I don't go to the market. So, um, it, well, yes. It's more no. of a crapshoot. Yes, definitely no, exactly. More of a yeah, but that's where you find the gems you'll never see again. True. Uh, but you, there's, there's gems that you never see again yeah, that's in, true. In, in the main stuff as well. But yes, uh, follow me on Twitter for that. Dan, how can people follow you on Twitter? Uh, you don't want to do your Instagram. It's different. Uh, all right, yes. Instagram is at Sam Ashurst, and you add a 23 to the end, and um, I will continue to put up bits and pieces around Frankenstein's creature. Yes. Um, by this point, I probably would have shared the 
incredible poster. That oh, Sam showed me the poster when I got here today. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's so beautiful. Graham Humphreys, uh, who is the man behind the, the art for Evil Dead 2, Nightmare on Elm Street, and, and loads of amazing Arrow uh, oh, amazing stuff. box covers. Um, yeah, Graham's done an incredible poster, so I'm sure I will put that on Instagram by the time you listen to this. So follow me on there for that. Dan, what have you got social media-wise? I am at 13fingerfx uh, on both Twitter and Instagram. Twitter is a mix of effectsy stuff and occasional low-end political rants, as well as just shitting on other people's enjoyment of films. <laughs> um, Instagram is more effectsy, but with pictures of my dog inter intermixed. Speaking of pictures of your dog, there's, yeah. there's another account, isn't there, that people could follow? <laughs> the, the, the dog named pig. Yes. The underscore dog underscore named underscore pig. Yeah, he does have his own account. So if, my if, wife if and I you sort of share the duties on yes, if you can't stand pictures of incredible uh, practical effects and you just want to look at a dog, um, that's the one to follow. I've been kicking myself since uh, we recorded the Frankenhooker episode because I did uh, an independent zombie film a few years ago, and one of the zombies was based on Frankenhooker. Ah, and I feel like I should have said that then and put up a. Uh, I should have tweeted it at the time, but. Um, the, the reason I you, did you can it. still tweet that the time I'm, I'm, that, that episode hasn't gone up yet oh no and I will try to have done that <laughs> but I like, don't mention it in the podcast so yeah we'll see but I will I will tweet it at the time but it's going to go on my Instagram today so it'll be cool dig backable for oh great uh, but I had to put some censorship bars on it which is why I didn't do it straight away amazing I look forward to seeing that as well right uh, thank you so much for listening and we promise we'll be more professional next time we promise bye bye bye